On this episode of Movie Bites, we take a look at a movie full of mystery, fun, and intrigue. 1977's The Rescuers. Welcome to Movie Bites. This is a very exciting episode we have for you today, guys. I'm so stoked about this. We have our very first guest host with us. We want to welcome Lauren Fontanilla to the show. Welcome, Lauren. Hello. I am ecstatic right now. This is fantastic. Wow. I didn't think anyone would ever be that excited to be on our show. <laughs> that's, that's great. All yeah. right. And then uh, we've also got Jeff and David here. Guys, how you doing? Doing good, doing good. Hello, hello. Excited to have a guest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. That means we're moving up in the world. That's right. People actually want to be on here with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lauren, uh, real quick before we, we jump into the episode, I figure I'd give you an opportunity to, uh, to introduce yourself, uh, talk a little bit about your love for Disney. Uh, a little background about yourself, maybe, and uh, any anything, any projects or anything you, you got going on, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Lauren, and I have been a lifelong Disney addict, I'm pretty sure. Uh, definitely grew up with all of the uh, movies, although um, less of the like classic stuff. So more like starting in Renaissance up to modern, and then only recently within the last like five, ten years have I started to purposely go back and watch older things. Um, but it's always sort of just been in the background of life in general and uh, love learning about it and researching company stuff and enjoying the franchises in general. Uh, it's such an integral part of my life. I'm not even sure I can express like <laughs> a general love for it other than it's always been something I've been interested in. Um, so... Yeah, uh, I actually, um, I co-produce a small YouTube channel with my brother, so if you would like to hear anything more from me after this podcast discussion about Disney, we do a lot of, like, Disney theories, uh, and some other, like, nerdy fandom stuff, like Harry Potter and Star Wars, a little bit of Marvel over there, but a large majority of it is Disney stuff, so, um, fan theories, occasional top ten lists, and video essays, too, so that's more of, uh, where I'm coming from. That's awesome. And what's the and name what of is your it, YouTube What channel? is it called? Yeah, that's important. <laughs> Tell I don't plug stuff very often. Uh, it's called the Theoretical YouTube Channel um, because apparently YouTube allows you to put the name YouTube in your channel name, but Twitter does not allow you to put the word Twitter in your handle. So found that out when we were setting up all of our uh, branding. <laughs> that's obnoxious. Wow. No Twitter. Sounds about right. Twitter. All yeah, right. It does. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, David sent us a video of yours a while back, and it was like, oh, was it about Tangled? It oh, like, probably. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I just video. when I picked which one to send them, I watched a few of them, but I was like, I should just look at what everyone has the most views, and then send that to the guys. <laughs> and that's what I did. Excellent. Yeah, it, our video with the actual most views is uh, unlisted from YouTube because it was our second video ever, and it was terrible. Uh, but that one has like 400 something thousand views, oh, whereas wow. Tangle Video has like 25,000, and I'm mm. much more happy with that. It's it's a lot better. But uh, yeah, that video is comparing the original, well, quote unquote, unoriginal Grimm's version of Rapunzel to That's the right. Tangled movie and uh, analyzing how Disney chooses to adapt their works 
which is relevant to this discussion because I learned while watching this movie that The Rescuers is also an adaptation. It is. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, about I was that. impressed I was like, I with how like long your video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, sorry, I was talking over David. I, I, uh, David sent that video, and it was like a long video. I don't remember how long it was. But uh, that it was, was a like... final for one of my classes in college, actually. Uh, I, I <laughs> yeah. convinced several professors to let me do videos instead of essays. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was very impressed. It was a, it was a good video. So oh, thank I you. figured, I figured you know what you're talking about. So, um, someone can get on here and talk about the theory behind. Uh, behind the rescuers for us so not, not, not that you have to do that but it's, uh, yeah so check out her uh, check out her youtube channel if you're if you're listening right now and uh give her a subscribe and all that stuff and uh smash yeah. that like button smash that like button as they say all right well on that note speaking of smashing the like button let's go ahead and jump into the facts jeff i'm going to hand it over to you to read some facts about the rescuers take it away Alrighty. so the rescuers was originally released in theaters on june 22nd of 1977 uh, it was followed by a couple of re-releases the first being in december of 1983 and then in anticipation of the sequel in 1990 the rescuers saw another theatrical run on march 17th of 1989 it was, once again, directed by Wolfgang Riedermann, but also with co-directors John Lounsbury and Art Stevens. And it was produced by Wolfgang Riedermann and Ron Miller, Walt Disney's son-in-law, who took over the company uh, around this time. Music by Artie Butler, starring uh, Bob Newhart and Eva Gabor, one of our favorites here on the show. And uh, also has some more familiar voices throughout, uh, including Pat Buttram. Uh, the budget was about $7.5 million, and it had a very successful box office run over the years, even including the original release of uh, $169 million. Uh, the runtime is 77 minutes, so right on par with all the other ones we've been doing of late. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of our, our fun facts. Yeah, the runtime thing's interesting. It's like It's almost like they figured out the attention the span yeah was. the attention span mm-hmm. of the kids or something yeah mm-hmm. all right cool well thank you jeff yeah I, I just i listed the main two uh voice actors on this one i wasn't yeah. sure how many of the other voice actors people would recognize um, i figured i'd throw in pat much from there because you know he's yeah he's probably a little more well known yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, I will quickly, I've got three or, f- or four or five different little facts here real quick that I'll hit on, and then uh, we will we'll move on. Uh, first up, this film, as mentioned earlier, was based on a series of books by Marjorie Sharp, most notably uh, the books The Rescuers and Miss Bianca, uh, I guess is what that one's called. The Rescuers uh, did enter, develop in 1962, but was shelved uh, due to Walt Disney dislike for the political overtones, I guess, uh, of the project. Uh, the original plot had uh, more to do with rescuing someone from like some different country, and it was a little more political. And so apparently he left a bad taste in his mouth. So it did get shelved for a while, and then obviously uh, eventually did get uh, new life, and they kind of re-pivoted and changed a lot of it and made it a little different uh the film took almost four years to make 
with the combined talents of 250 people, including 40 animators who produced approximately 330,000 drawings. There were 14 sequences with 1,039 separate scenes and 750 backgrounds. Um, the budget we mentioned earlier, 7.5 million. It was Disney's first big budget animated film uh, of that magnitude since uh, Sleeping Beauty. So this one apparently used a lot of money. I don't know how. I don't know why. Don't get me started. But apparently they spent a lot of money on it. Just not on the opening credit scene right. apparently. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So <laughs> moving on. Uh, I loved the opening yes. credit scene. I, I did right. as well. well. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I thought it was, it was just underwhelming terrible. compared to so, the last few we've done. Yes. Uh, number three, it was the first Disney film that combined the talents of Walt Disney's original crew of story writers and animators, including the Nine Old Men. And this was the uh, the first where they they mixed in a newer, less experienced crew. Uh, that I that was I, I guess they had recruited some some new animators in the mid nineteen seventies. I was gonna say I did see Glenn Keenan there for the first time. Okay. Yeah, and they they probably weren't making as much money as the <laughs> the original guys. Yeah. They're cheaper, yeah. but um, this film marks the last joint effort by veterans uh, Milt Call, Ollie Johnson, and Frank Thomas. Um, some of the nine old men. This was a lot of their their last effort. Uh, but this was one of the first films that uh, Don Bluth worked Ooh. on as an animator uh, instead of a assistant animator. So. Other animators who stepped up during production were Glenn Keane, Ron Clements, and Andy Gaskell, who would play an important role in Disney's renaissance of the 1980s and 90s. That's so exciting. Jeff got a little ahead Sorry. of me there. But, yep. <laughs> no, no. That was great. That was a good catch. Um, yeah. So, just some interesting facts. I don't. Are any of you guys uh, Don Bluth fans? Oh, yeah. I, I am. Oh, yeah, I'm a massive Don Bluth fan. Yeah. He's, <laughs> it's a, done, it's a dumb done question. Some incredible right? work. Does anyone dislike his work? Probably some Disney purists. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, he's like, he's a traitor. Yeah. Traitor to the mouse. <laughs> I mean, my sister's not a big fan of his work because we used to watch Secret, uh, Secret of Nim, mm-hmm. and it was like super dark and weird. And uh, she, that's my it, like. like that's one of my favorite animated movies. Man, I've never. I've never. I seen know, that one. I, and I agree. Oh yeah. really? Oh, it's got Robin Williams as a little bat. That's great. No, 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 that's Fern. That's yeah. Fern. No, no, that's no, Fern no that, yeah, that's oh. Fern Gully. That's oh shoot! Dullies. What am yeah. I thinking of? Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's Fern Gully. That's okay. Oh, my oh you're thinking of Fern yeah, Gully. Fern Gully, I love. Um, no, Secret yeah. of Nim is another mouse movie. I remember and a right, lot of the right. character designs in this movie. I was like, I don't know who did the character designs, mm-hmm. but either Don Bluth took inspiration or he did them. He, he I thought loves, about that he too. He loves mice, huh? Because didn't he do the five? Oh yeah, because American Tale and Five Goes West. Yeah, I love those movies. Interesting. There was a lot of mice and movies I have, in the 80s, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I actually, yeah. I actually didn't realize he worked on Nim. And I, I know what movie you're talking this, about now. Yeah, it was his first one. Books. I don't know why. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> first one yeah, after he hired all of Disney's animators away. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't paste it in here, but I think I guess there was a... Uh, there was I read a thing that said that Don Bluth brought up to some of the higher ups he noticed that the the colors of eyes in this movie were like not all white that was one of my biggest pet um, peeves <laughs> yep yeah and so i guess he brought it up and was like hey why is this and they're like well it's too expensive to white all the eyes that was my theory so we're just not going to do it 
And he, I guess he then went back with another guy and they like figured it out and they're like, it actually isn't more expensive to do it this way to make all the eyes the same color. Mm. And they just told him like, uh, stop bringing this up and just play along, like be a, be a team player and leave it alone. And I guess according to what I read, it said that was like one of the big things that like really irked him. And he was, it kind of started him down this path of like, I don't want to work here anymore. I don't blame him. The management kind of started treating animation as second rate at this point. And I was curious about the eyes. I noticed in two scenes they're whited in, which makes it even worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just be consistent. Yeah. I, I didn't mind it on Bianca so much, but right. definitely there was a few points where I'm like, ah, it's a, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on and we'll head into our history with this movie. Or we're going to quickly go around the table here and uh, share our history, our love, our dislike, our what, not necessarily those, but our history. If we grew up watching it, all that good stuff. Lauren, would you like to start us off? Absolutely. So this was probably my first time watching the film since I was a kid. So like maybe 15 years, definitely since um, Blockbuster went out of business, basically. Uh, Because my family did not own this one. And so if I, I I feel like I have seen it before, but it was very fuzzy. We definitely rented the sequel Rescuers Down Under way more often. And so that's the one that um like i could probably tell you the plot of that one whereas this one i could like be like it's a diamond thing in a swamp maybe (laughs) and there's a bird that's probably (laughs) the extent of what i could have uh described to you but i definitely had seen it before um and as i was watching it it just reminded me more of secret of nim which was definitely like a childhood um classic and so it was like nostalgic by proxy where I had nostalgia for other films around it, but not necessarily this one in particular. Okay. Sweet. All right, David, what about you? Uh, Yes, I actually owned this one. So this was one of my normal sort of rotations of movies that, you know, when I was going to watch a movie and we weren't going to rent something or spend any money, you know, this was one of the films. Um, Interestingly enough, I don't have this one. When I was watching it, I realized how much I didn't remember this movie, which I thought was interesting because I know I watched it like a lot, uh, but it wasn't ingrained mm. in me the same way that like Robin Hood uh, was for whatever reason. And there was, a, which was kind of actually a pleasant surprise because it was, it was a lot of sex segments that I quite enjoyed that I feel like if I had, you know, really overdone it like I did at Robin Hood, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed as much. Um, But I definitely have seen this one um, probably more so than most other Disney movies. I'd say this, I'd say Robin Hood, this movie, um, Peter Pan and the Jungle Book are probably the ones that I've seen just the most out of any Disney movie. And uh, yeah, so I have quite a bit of history with it. And it was always, I had both this one and, and Down Under, and I, I think I would watch them back to back sometimes. I do think I did prefer Down Under, and I think it was a kid. And I think I, I don't know if I still do. I think I still do, just because of the animation is so good in that movie. Um, but that I have two birds. Yeah, it's got <laughs> two birds, two times the birds, and one that can talk eggs. and one that cannot talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 it's one of my favorites still. Um, nothing but fond memories of it, um, though I guess. You know, some people don't like it as much, but I really do. 
Sweet. Yeah. yeah, so this is one where I know we had it when I was a kid, and I don't remember if we got it at the first VHS release, which was in 92, or the second one in 99. Um, but either way, I didn't watch it a lot growing up. It was one that I sort of, I think it was just a little too dark and depressing, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is just really not my style in general. Uh, so... I don't have a lot of memories of it. I, I was a fan of Bernard and Bianca, and I think I have more memories of the sequel. Um, but, yeah, I don't have a ton of memories around it. I mean, I, it was one where whenever we did get the VHS of it, we watched it, and, you know, we, we always did whenever they released. Um, but it was not in our regular rotation. It was kind of like a every once in a while, one of my siblings would probably put it on and I would just kind of watch along if it was on, maybe do, be doing something else while that was happening. Um, so not a, not a whole lot of nostalgia for this one for me, which is kind of the first time I think that's happened on this show. I was thinking about it as I was watching it. I was like, man, I don't remember this. I don't remember the sequences. And mm -hmm. this is the first time I've really had to pay close attention. Um, because I don't know the movie, you know, inside out and backwards, like I do the other ones. So, mm -hmm. um, not to say I don't pay attention when I watch the other ones. It's just that I know the other films better. <laughs> right. But yeah. Right. So that's, we know uh, you're sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh that's my history with this one. Cool. For me, uh, I definitely watched this as a kid. I don't know if we owned it on VHS or not, and if we did, we probably didn't watch it very much. Um. Most of it ring a bell to me, but I uh, also don't know it super well. Uh, there were a couple points where I was like quoting along with it, but not a lot. Um, I, wa I probably watched it once in the last 10 years. Uh, I think at one point I was like, I haven't seen this in a long time. I should watch this. And then I watched it and I went, oh, yeah, that's why I don't watch this very much. <laughs> and so um wasn't really looking forward to watching this one. Um, but I did watch it and, uh, I only had to pause it at one point to get up and, uh, go get a snack and just try to kind of put some energy back into my body chug a Red Bull. as it was being <laughs> right. Cause it was literally being drained from me by watching this movie. Oh and so uh, I just, I was also falling asleep. And so it was just like, I was, I felt like the life was being sucked out of me. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so not the most familiar with this. Uh, like you guys, I watched the sequel much, much more for very obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. So um, that's my history with the movie, the end. Okay. <laughs> now, real quick, before we get into our movie talk through, I'm going to ha hand it over to our animation specialist over on the, on the ground. We've got David on the other end of the line here. He's going to talk to us about the animation visual style. David, take it away. All right, so I, I'm, I'm very excited that we finally have something kind of different to talk about here. Um, this film is kind of um, the, to me it almost feels like it's kind of like a visual sort of transition between the old sketchy style and, and the new more modern style. It's mm -hmm. still using the xenographic process, but it's much more advanced to the point where there's um, softer lines there's some different colored lines and it just starts to feel um, visually much more uh, like what we start to become more accustomed to with Disney in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, I've also noticed quite a bit of multi-plane multi work in this one. I know Jeff's mm -hmm. always a fan of that. Uh, quite a mm -hmm. bit of that. 
Um, I really enjoy a lot of the backgrounds with the much, they seemed much, well, maybe I shouldn't say all of them. I noticed there was kind of like a, I don't know if you noticed, I felt like there was a discrepancy mm-hmm. in the quality of the backgrounds at times. Like mm-hmm. some of them looked really, really good. And there was a couple that kind of felt like, eh, that looks like it kind of belongs in the sketchy era. And then some look like these beautiful hand painted uh, masterpieces. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the opening credits to this one. Uh, there was a lot of just very well done hand painted um, um, pieces where you could you know see all the brush strokes and everything. Um, they don't move around very much, so I guess some people don't <laughs> like them. But I, I thought I thought they were fantastic. And uh, oh, fantastic, fantastic! I was also going to comment on, on just how um, I thought that there was a lot more three D three dimensional composition to like the. Uh, the animation style in this one there was less just sort of like you know wes anderson style side shots of all the characters from mm. the side and much mm. more um 3d depth to a lot of the movement with characters being farther in the background and foreground and mm-hmm. people kind of wa- walking you know i remember there was one scene where um someone picks up a cat and they kind of take it forward to the camera and then walk back a little bit and there's a lot more shots that just look Oh, they put a lot more effort and time into the animation this time mm-hmm. around. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, there was a, a very noticeable jump in quality versus the last mm-hmm. time we've watched. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I found it very interesting. I, I actually didn't notice as much multiplane as it sounds like you did. I, I kind of really noticed it as they were leaving the city uh, and flying uh, Norville. And then as we did the first establishing shot in the bayou. I noticed it, but I actually didn't notice it too much more after that. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. You, you, grass you might be right. The foreground. Maybe it was just more, I mean, the use of it was much more noticeable when it was there. Yeah. I think okay, I saw, fair. I remember I counted at least, I think it was three or four times. I sort of made a note of it. I don't remember all the exact okay. places, but I know it's very, it was very subtle in like Robin hood and whatnot. Right, um, just where, for like where they were using things. it, but like not very well. <laughs> yeah, and when it was probably. used here, it was done quite fantastically. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get any twelve pane boom shots through, you know, se- several layers of city like we did in the beginning of Pinocchio. But it it mm. was used to, you know, the intended effect of some depth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lauren, before we move on, did you have any thoughts or anything you wanted to add as far as like the visual over, overthought your overthoughts of of visuals for this movie? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so you guys had mentioned the the zero graphic elements um, and how this is sort of transition out of that period. And for most of my life, I would have said that I loved the sketchier style um, because, like, one of my favorite films growing up was Aristocats, and mm. so. It's really cemented in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would have said it's like, oh, it feels like you're closer to the animator and you're actually feeling their lines on the uh, paper transferred onto film. Um, and then just within the last year, I read this book called The Queens of Animation, all about the women working at Disney um, from the 30s up in, up until present day, but mostly 30s through like 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was talking about the introduction of Xerox machine basically eliminated the ink and paint department completely uh, and was massive layoffs for the Disney Corporation, which helped them stay afloat and keep in business, which I'm grateful mm-hmm. for, but also affected a disproportionate amount of women working in the industry. 
and so now I have a really hard time enjoying the sketchy style as much without <laughs> thinking of just people losing their livelihoods. Aww. Yeah, that makes. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't really wow. thought of that, but that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and and they do they did great work. I'm sorry, but like the just like yeah. the line work on those older movies is like fantastic. Mm-hmm. 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 It really is. Very yeah, so well, I just have like this movie about the visual style of this film. Uh, I I enjoy it though. It does feel um, homey is not the right word. It's word, very but like like granola and and very muted in the color palette. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, I did like the color palette. It, it's a pretty color palette. It's just so much more muted than a lot of other mm-hmm. Disney films. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm officially depressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry Just, it's not all your fault it's mostly the movie's fault so it's it's uh, there's a common theme going on here i can see it so all right well i think we should go ahead and move on i'm gonna press start on the movie here and then we can get into our movie talk through the rescuers let's jump into it first thing i noted right off the bat as soon as you hit play the buena vista logo pops up yeah. but lo and behold no fanfare no music no nothing mm-hmm. just a little bit of r- low rumbling thunder in the distance okay that that just told me right off the bat we are in for something different not a good sign in my opinion um yeah just dark and moody right mm-hmm. right at, right at the beginning um, which leads us into the credits. I'll go ahead and throw my thoughts on the, the opening credits real quick, and then I'll let you guys talk about it. But um, uh, as mentioned earlier, it, they do look like, like, well, I guess there's a scene before the opening. Yeah, there's like a cold open. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, but the bottle. For, being mm-hmm. That's yeah, right, that's right. And then it goes into it. For a Disney movie, they, they all they yeah. start with the credits, right? So, right. It's kind yeah. of set the stage. Yeah, it's kind of fun, a little soft open. Uh, I didn't really care for the opening credits. They are beautiful paintings. I, I, I see what David's saying, where you can actually see like the canvas yeah, you can. uh, pattern kind of behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have been all right if it was just like, here's some shots of some background paintings of, or something. But mm-hmm. then they like tried to kind of play out the scene of the help bottle being moved around, and they just did it by like zooming in on paintings, and it just felt really low budget. And I'm more comparing it to how the opening credits have been in previous movies leading yeah. up to this. This just felt like a huge step back. And maybe it was at the same, same time, but it just felt cheap to me. For for the reason we talked about earlier about this having the higher animation budget and, and being, you know, the the biggest movie since Sleeping Beauty as far as production, I was surprised with that. And I... I specifically called that out to my wife while we were watching i was like oh man these are not animated they're beautiful paintings but they're not animated mm-hmm. um but also as i was just kind of looking at it right now um that first opening shot the soft opening like th- it starts with like a wide shot of the the riverboat wreck in the in the bayou and they they do a zoom in and yet they're not using the multiplane like why would you not 
start off with a very you know powerful shot like pinocchio like i just referenced like it's just them like you said zooming in on a still thing with like the lightning being the only animation um i thought that was kind of a odd choice to not start it with like a a more expensive opening shot you know i i just you know first impressions and all yeah so i thought that was interesting i i took it as an artistic choice to do it that way not like a budget issue but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Because I, 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 I thought it was, it was a combination. An... Yeah. It could be. Yeah. It could be they hadn't quite decided when they animated it. It could be. I mean, who knows? Um, you know, they may have decided to pull out the multiplane later into production as they were like, oh, yeah, this might actually be a good movie. I don't know. Who knows? I feel the animation quality in that opening scene just seems lower in general, too. Hmm. The uh, alligator models seem slightly off, they seem mm. a little more rotund. I don't know, maybe not, but it just kind of felt that way to me. Interesting. So in defense of the intro, yeah, uh, I started out thinking equally that was like, oh, this is pretty boring. This is not animated. Um, but then as I was watching, I'm like, oh, I like the brush textures and stuff. And then as it kept going, I feel like the editing of the still paintings matched with the music so well that it had mm -hmm. a big emotional swell that was really helped with the lightning effects, which I thought were really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then just now I've been thinking, what was the last Disney credits intro to tell a story? Because all the examples I'm thinking of are like Jungle Book, you just go through the jungle and it's showing off yeah. backgrounds and set pieces. 101 Dalmatians is animated, but very like abstract mm -hmm. uh, with the mm -hmm. spots. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like... I, growing up lady in the tramp is always my example of like that is the most boring intro just start the movie already <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yeah so is there another disney movie that really like t tries to have some narrative weight with the credits like this one does with the the bottle making its way from uh, a swamp somewhere in america to new york not that I could yeah i mean i couldn't really think of one the closest i feel might and it wasn't with the animation but with the song uh well i guess both the aristocats and bambi i was thinking bambi but the aristocats tells a story sets up your characters but yeah as far as the animation or visuals during mm -hmm. the credits i don't feel like it ever had been done before this yeah um, and could, yeah. could be wrong but i can't think of one and then they cut the front credits at some point pretty soon. Like I don't think there's that many more that have. Yeah, that them. yeah, that was a transition that happened after after um, Little Mermaid. Yeah, Mermaid it had to do with um, the collapse of the studio system in Hollywood. I have yeah. another video on the channel talking about intro credit sequences and how they transition to the ends of movies and then their uh, their like descendants ended up on TV. That, that's very fun. <laughs> that's about the Lego Movie too. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, nice. no, I remember George Lucas was one of the first to push for that and took a lot of flack from the studios. And yeah. Yeah, well, part of it is that, um, I mean, Disney was particularly guilty of not crediting people who worked on the film because you can't mm -hmm. fit it in the beginning. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. when people by union law had to be credited on their projects, um, that made credit sequences so much longer. So that's when they were moved to the oh, end, okay. um, which didn't necessarily all happen in the 70s. Like Wizard of Oz was in the 30s and that has an end credit sequence. Um, oh, interesting. But yeah, it has to do with crediting people for their work and that being too long of a segment to put at the beginning of a film. <laughs> that mm -hmm. makes sense. 
What one more thing I wanted to say about the opening sequence before we move on, because I know we're spending way too much long on it. <laughs> this is like the first one I think that I didn't completely zone out on, and that's I think the biggest defense of it is most that's of them wild. I could. I kind of just like zone out when all the stuff happens. And you, you guys always comment on how cool the opening sequence is. I was like, I don't remember a thing about it. And this is the <laughs> first one that like really like stuck with me because of it's telling a story and there's these beautiful pieces yeah. of art. And I, I, I don't think it's cheap at all. I think it's the best one. <laughs> but that's just me. You tripping, I mean, bro? I didn't. I didn't mean to say the credits were cheap. I just meant the actual soft open sequence. Mm. The animation on that felt a little less stellar right. than most of the movie. That's it. Fair. Could have been added no. later. Like maybe they were going to open in New York uh, and retroactively. Yeah, had decided to, like, to do the message in the bottle. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, mm. I could see that if they were like, "Well, we need to do something for our opening sequence. Let's let's show the bottle getting from." I mean, I assume it's Louisiana, right? Like, it's. I think so. So the bottle goes down around Florida and then up the East Coast, and and then it ends up in New York, which is interesting. I feel like it wouldn't do that, but you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be like a South Carolina or Georgia Mm -hmm. bayou, maybe. I don't feel like those are particularly bayou known places like Louisiana or Mississippi are, but hey, you know, who knows? Who knows? It's been a while since I looked at ocean currents, but I'm <laughs> guessing it's not the most likely scenario. Right. Disney Magic brought it there. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. It's pennies, wishes, and dreams. Mm-hmm. Alright, what else we got? Um, That sequence as they go into the United Nations, you see a lot of... Uh, humans going in and out before we meet the mice and um very very clearly appears to be rotoscoped as we've Mm -hmm. come to see in uh several of disney's films that's pretty common um you know it looks looks good uh it really shows off the line work is much much improved versus the sketchy era Mm -hmm. um so that was kind of nice and you know as you zoom into the the rescue aid society uh i thought the the backgrounds here with all the little matchboxes and whatnot was really was really clever really cute um very detailed uh i don't know if you guys noticed the mickey mouse watch on the wall as their clock uh, my wife pointed that out i hadn't noticed it did you guys no, see i don't that? think i noticed that yeah mm. no, the, the clock that. on the wall in there in the rescue aid society is that so i thought that was a fun touch i always wanted one of those as a kid never got one but um, that's sad too. Just like this movie. Just like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved all the little mice from different countries and and their different outfits and looks. I realized during this scene, like I had a sudden flash memory to childhood. In fourth grade, I used to doodle uh, like during math uh, math class, uh, <laughs> and I would draw cats in different like clothing from around the world. And I oh, wonder, no. like, how much of subconsciously was lifted from this movie? Yeah, because it was it was literally the exact same. Like, oh, uh, a Scottish character would wear a beret and a kilt. And, <laughs> uh, a German character would wear uh, later hosen. Later hosen, yeah, yeah. And it was very much like a look into my like psyche. That's fun. That's fun. Hmm. 
I think I texted you guys this, but I love that Bernard is dressed like Mario throughout this whole sequence. Right. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you, I mean, I, I would have, I'm sure, noticed anyway. But yeah, when you pointed that out, I was like, oh my God, I don't think I've yeah, ever Yeah, I mean, that. obviously this is 77, so like, you know, quite a bit before Super Mario was a thing, but it's <laughs> just Miyamoto hard to watch it now without theaters. thinking that. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is the true him, origin I mean, of Mario. This is only what, like six years before Donkey Kong came out. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you yep. never, well, no, not even. It's probably four years because that was 81, wasn't it? Not 83. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah this is yeah. honestly could be. <laughs> yeah, the, the true inspiration. I mean, and Mario was originally supposed to be from New York and Bernard's from New York. So, <laughs> it really could be. Yeah, it's very possible. There you go. I'll ask Disney sues Nintendo for plagiarism. <laughs> takes the rights to the Mario movie. <laughs> this is the best prequel. <laughs> totally off topic. I just saw the Mario movie yesterday. <laughs> nice. Oh nice. I yeah. saw it I saw it Wednesday, so I'm yeah. seeing it tomorrow. Oh. Very cool. Well that's that'll date the episode. I it like sure it. will. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you, you don't know. The we could have just waited a really long time. That's true. Yeah, That's true. we didn't say we. Well, I think we did say we saw it in theaters. I was gonna say maybe we watched it on Peacock. Who knows? Um, mm-hmm. The sequence after once you know Bianca and Bernard pair up and they're like they've got a little map and they're going through the rainy city. I felt was really slow and as kind of the first adventure sequence, uh, it lacked the um, the hook, so to speak, for me. Um, it's i think it's supposed to be showing bernard being kind of uh slightly chauvinistic just like feels like he needs to be protecting her and guiding her and the one in charge i thought it seemed um and then he like goes down the wrong way and gets growled at i yeah i guess by a lion um, it bothered me that we never saw the lion. Right. I kind of thought that too. I was like, well, there's no payoff. Like, was it scary? Was it just snoring? Like, it would have been kind of funny if it was just like right. not even growling at him. Um, but I was glad to see that they did kind of a callback to it later in the movie um, and showed his character growth, which that, that for I was going to initially as I was watching this, I was like, this scene was completely irrelevant and just kind of unnecessary and just kind of slow um but once they did the payoff later on and i can't remember the specifics but there's something that growls towards the third act and uh yeah i just this is i had mixed feelings about this this kind of first scene but i guess it's mostly to establish bernard as the giant chicken he is (laughs) who thinks he can go out on these adventures he wants to be a rescued society mouse but he's just absolutely out of his element so, I think out. the other thing it does is establish Bianca as yes, that too, very right. like willing to work with the system and understand multiple sides of things from a compassionate yeah. place where yeah. it's like, oh, that mean lion like totally just tried to eat me. Um, <laughs> and he, like he was he was a jerk about it, whereas Bianca's like, well, you woke him up in the middle of the night. So. Right. Yeah. And, you know, she puts up with his wanting to try different things she doesn't just say look i've been doing this longer than you she doesn't try to even though she clearly knows more about this than he does and and is clearly uh the senior adventurer here uh but yeah he mm-hmm. uh, 
she, she lets him learn, I guess. And I think that that tells a lot about her and her, um, her character. Mm-hmm. So, I so I want to take a quick second. Sorry. Did you, you want to go? Go ahead. I want to talk real quick about the music in this movie. Uh, I, yeah, I did want to bring that up too. So, yes. So to kick it off, I had read that originally uh, the the artists known as the Carpenters were supposed to do the music for this movie. Okay. And uh, I think uh, unfortunately uh, she was not able to sing the songs or whatever. There was some kind of. Um, confliction with conflicting dates or something with mm-hmm. i don't know what but and i guess she uh what is it karen carpenter is that her name not sure something like anyway she was like super bummed that she couldn't do the music for the movie but what i'm getting at is the female i forget the lady's name who sang these most of these songs i think there's like three of them that she sings maybe uh or two or three uh all kind of sound like the carpenters i noticed i so they, was it thinking was, that too okay shelby flint so it was very it was very um, like seventies esque, I think. Yeah. Um, that being said, I don't like any of the songs in this movie. <laughs> no, uh, me I think they're all kind of like I get. It's all kind of fits the style and the mm-hmm. tone of the movie. So like that part, mm-hmm. I understand. Like I feel like it's fitting for what they're doing. Right. The I first half of this actually. movie takes place in the rain and. There's little girls crying constantly throughout the whole movie. So <laughs> having this depressing music fits, but I don't like it. And I think it's sleepy. And even when they're flying away and they're doing this big, like we're going on an adventure. And then there's this, like this, like folk singer woman singing this like really chill mm-hmm. song. And so I, I don't know. I, I was reading comments yesterday on YouTube about this movie and people were like, I love this movie. It makes me feel so like warm and cozy and comfortable. Cause it's so like, what? uh, like homey uh, and, mm-hmm. and like, and so like, I kind of get that, but, but I, I don't get that feeling necessarily, right. but I, I guess I could see where people would th- I, feel that. I think yeah. the music, I think the music fits, but I'll probably agree with that. Like, it's not like, when you think about this movie, you don't think about man. The Rescuers has such good iconic music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not like the second one, man. The second yeah, one yeah, it's it, it's there. Epic score. Yeah, it, I yeah. think it really it adds to the mood and vibe, and and I like it. But I I wouldn't probably go out and like I'm gonna go listen to the Rescuers soundtrack today. It, it, it's it's yeah. really only good in relation to the scenes that it scores. Yeah, see, even for that, I, I actually disagree with you guys. I, I think this music doesn't fit for what's happening. Um, and again, I, I'm going to keep saying this, but my wife and I were talking about it as we were watching it, and she she was actually the one who brought it up. But it was just like, you know, they're going on an adventure. It should be more upbeat, more, you know, setting the, like, setting the tone in more of a way like Indiana Jones when he's setting off on his adventure. It's like... You, I wanted it to be upbeat and mysterious and kind of like driving intrigue, and all it did was put me to sleep. Like it was, it was just so. Um, I hate to say just boring, but it, it just these songs are just snooze fest. <laughs> like, um, and the score too. I didn't really feel like the score was that good. I mean, it definitely wasn't memorable. It was borderline forgettable to the point where it was inoffensive and just didn't even make me feel one way or the other um i just i was i was disappointed in the music in general and just didn't think it fit very well 
not con- to continue harping on the uh, opening <laughs> credits, but <laughs> I thought that was the strongest song for me. Yeah. Everything else felt like. I like the Rescue Aid Society song. That. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> true. I don't Which know. Is I have a the very personal gripe against Someone's Waiting for You. Uh, just because uh, my brother and I have a CD of Japanese punk rock covers of Disney songs, um, and it's nice. a lot of like more obscure picks. And so someone picked "Someone's Waiting for You," and it's the worst cover on the CD. And then there, <laughs> and then you wait for five. You wait through five minutes of silence, and then uh, there's a bonus track at the end of Hakuna Matata. <laughs> <laughs> wow! But you have to like wait through the really. It's even slower. The cover's even slower, and you can't tell what they're saying. And it's really bad, and then it's silent, and then you get an okay cover if you can pick up That sounds like absolute hell. Right? <laughs> you could not pay me to listen to that cover that you're talking about. That I, so I think bad. that whole concept sounds awesome, though. Like the, the Disney punk covers, I would listen, probably. I don't know oh, if that song will be good. It's so totally. good. It is so funny. <laughs> My brother has the CDs. Well, there's two of them. My brother has the CDs right now. Um, but I, uh, I'll share with you guys. There's a um, someone put together like a YouTube uh, playlist of, of one of the discs. So I'll yes. send that to you yes. guys. It's Please so do. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Um, I wonder. Going back to the thing where this music, um, where the Carpenters were originally going to do this music. Um, do you know how how like close to um. The release that decision was made or were they were i like like as i know i know this happens quite a bit now with like non-linear video editing is that like uh sometimes when you're with animation you know it, it might be kind of like that same way where you're almost editing it's almost like non-linear video editing where you have to plan it out so much because it's such work to do that if you grow like really attached to um like a song that you think is going to be there and then you have to change that it's sometimes that sort of affects who comes in and replaces it is that your only direction as a musician is like make it sound like this carpenter's song is sometimes it turns out stuff that's kind of bland and not very creative uh, that's very possible that it yeah. played out that way i'm, I'm not, not sure. sure i don't see any yeah i don't see anything mm-hmm. about that on what i'm looking at right now so i'm not sure but i don't know I, it doesn't really bother me it's 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 there it serves mm. its purpose. I wouldn't really go out of my way to listen to it, but I, I, to me, it's just kind of non. It's kind of a non-offensive soundtrack. It doesn't annoy yeah. me, but it doesn't like excite me either. That's yeah. That's kind of that's where I was at. I did like that Orville got the U.S. Air Force theme song mm-hmm. as he was coming in. Yeah, I thought of you, Clay. <laughs> yep, I know every word to that song. Nice. Um. So another thing about this about this movie that I didn't really remember is how long it takes for them to get from uh, making the decision to actually going to the bayous. And I, and I and I actually really enjoyed this whole segment with them ta- talking to the cat, going to the pawn shop, yeah. and just so, I, it was sort of like detective, you know, Bernard Bernard. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, segment, I really like that. And, and I didn't really remember it that much, uh, which which was nice. And uh, and I feel like the second movie didn't have that. It was much more you know everything from yeah. the get-go and i like that there was a little bit more of an investigation phase and this whole movie's mm-hmm. pacing does kind of feel more like a like a slow burn detective story at some times yeah and, and, mm-hmm. and i, I did like really that. like it gives that. it a, yeah yeah it's a little bit mm-hmm. of like a little hint of film noir influence and i don't know i thought it was totally. kind of neat 
I, I just think, without any action or enjoyment. I mean, the lack <laughs> of action is notable, but like, I liked the the mystery. It's like, well, where is this kid? If I almost, unfortunately, I think it detracts that we do know where she is. We know she's in the bayou, and we we know she we saw her send the letter. Whereas I think it would have added to the the thrill of the mystery, the thrill of the hunt, or whatever, if we didn't know that and we just started with the bottle washing ashore and the mice but you know the opening credit sequence could have been the mice actually transporting it from the the beach to the U, the united nations building because that probably was quite the undertaking um but yeah, i i, 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 think I would have loved to disagree um, okay just because the point in the end of the movie isn't the mystery so then you'd only have mm-hmm. a mystery for like the first two thirds and then a lack uh, it if if like the yeah, emotional okay. stakes around figuring out where Penny is, once you know where she is, then the last act feels superfluous. superfluous. That's fair. Yeah. Um, no, that's fair. That's a good. And, and I feel like that it would be emotionally unsatisfying to have another twenty minutes of movie at the end if the like emotional stakes were all about the mystery. Yeah, right. that's fair. But uh, I did I did really enjoy the mystery aspect when when to Bernard and Bianca they had no clue and like they had to mm. they had to find out what happened and I liked that they were sort of you know interviewing the cat and then overhearing something at the pawn shop and it, it just worked out and yeah that they were able to find her because I feel like it was very much a needle in a haystack um I don't know if I wasn't paying close enough attention or just missed it but how did they know to check the orphanage if all they had was Penny's name on like the waterlogged letter did I? Did they? She wrote that? the. She wrote the name of the orphanage on oh, the letter. Oh, was in there? Okay, I missed that. Mm-hmm. Oops. <laughs> okay. You're right, but if she hadn't, they would have had nothing to go off of. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I'll. I'll. Uh. One of my, the things I wrote down. Um. Eva Gabor is oh, yeah. really like carrying this movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. She. She's, she does a great job. She does such a good balance of um seriousness with like you know let's get down to business let's do this this is Mm -hmm. what needs to happen but like compassion like for for bernard and just kind of the patience i don't know i i I love her performances like Mm -hmm. she has great nuance Mm -hmm. i agree she has a very cool Um, voice Mm -hmm. i remember as they were entering the building that's like I thought it was an airport. Um, I was surprised that they go up the escalator and end up on the roof of just like a skyscraper in Manhattan. Like uh, <laughs> I'd forgotten that that's where they take off from with Orville, but um, <laughs> it was just sort of almost jarring. I was like, "Oh, oh, they're gonna they're going up to a helipad." I just thought that was funny. It was yeah clever. It's not something I would have ever thought of. It was weird seeing like all the people, like as if this was just this normal thing. You just take a a double rotor helicopter out of manhattan like i don't know maybe that was a thing in the 70s or a more common thing um but just like a downtown airport that's just a heliport it's kind of interesting <laughs> yeah that is i, so I didn't so even think about that but that is pretty weird <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's talk about something here um okay. the elephant in the room here with this movie is for me it's it's a mildly depressing movie, in my opinion. It's mm-hmm. dark. It's got a heavy plot line. It's about freaking kidnapping a kid and and forcing her to do basically manual labor, dangerous um, labor. Yeah. Yes, right. 
and it's um it's just it's set in a dark place it's in a swamp mm-hmm. uh we have this woman who's kind of a cruella de vil knockoff absolutely is. who's mm-hmm. pretty pretty evil i don't know i just i i feel like i can't enjoy this movie just because it, it is so dark and gloomy yeah. that it it doesn't it doesn't have that Disney charm to it as much. I feel like the charm, the Disney animated charm is overshadowed by just kind of this gl- over, overly gloomy thing. Like they, they, perp- they purposely chose to have it be rainy at night. They purposely yeah. chose to put it in a, a swamp and a bayou. And so mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and it makes me think a little bit to uh, not to change movies on us, but Fox and the Hound, a lot of people go, I don't oh, like yeah. that movie because it's super <laughs> sad, but I go, but that actually is a really beautiful movie and I really love it. And I feel like people don't want to watch it because it makes them sad. And I'm like, well, it's worth watching, even if it is kind of sad. Interesting. Whereas I feel like this movie isn't worth watching, and it is sad. Um, well, it's not. I wouldn't even call this one sad. It's more just oh, kind no, of depressing. It's okay, it is. Yeah, you it's you literally yeah. see a girl cry like four or five times. Yeah. In the first thirty minutes, and it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like know. So I was just some, curious your guys' thoughts. Oh, I feel like some aspect of what makes this movie not so charming is how uncharismatic the villains are. Because um, mm-hmm. they're certainly yeah. evil. Snoops. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I Snoop's felt unnecessary. It's like to a the wet rag. Plot. Like, what was the yeah. point of that character? <laughs> he doesn't really even do anything. I mean, it's uh, yeah, meant to be the the Horace and Jasper yeah. like, but no, mm-hmm. it just is so boring. Someone needs to get well, verbally like... abused. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it could have been the alligators. Uh, but yeah no madame medusa is uh i think it's very clear why she didn't stand the test of time as like an iconic disney villain just Mm -hmm. because she is like a redo of corella deville but without like the pizzazz style yeah 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 totally (laughs) it's it's like corella if she had lived like another 20 years and lost all her money the thing is with (laughs) corella corella's like high class and um, you know, fashionista, whatever. And this lady is just basically white trash who's a treasure hunter slash scam artist, it seems. And just like, yeah, no style, no grace. She's got a funny face, you know? It's just. <laughs> Sorry. Had, wow. to D- had to throw a DK rap reference in. Um, but yeah, no, it was interesting how similar she is to uh, Cruella in. The car she drives um there's a scene when she's out on her little rocket powered airboat mm-hmm. uh she has a spotlight and she's looking for penny after she runs away and it's like identical to when krill is looking for the the puppies in the town towards the end of 101 dalmatians oh, yeah. and she's like going by and they're hiding in the the barn or whatever uh they're in and um but yeah she just like you said she lacks the the it factor that Krilla had that has made Krilla a long lasting, you know, in the parks, in the whatever, she's she's still around. And mm-hmm. Madame Medusa has been forgotten, definitely. Yeah. Forgotten. I will say I did like Brutus and Nero, though. I love, I like the character yeah. designs. They had a lot of weight to them. They felt legitimately menacing in a mm-hmm. way that a lot of villain sidekicks, like, um, they tend to go more like the Iago route where they're like comic relief or, right. more, or like they're a foil to the villain who's they, supposed to be the real threat. Whereas Bruce a... and Nero felt like they were the main danger in the swamp. Mm-hmm. 
They mm-hmm. did, but I liked that they also, that part with the pipe organ, they made them a little more goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me a lot of one scene in Peter Pan where the crocodile is like clapping his hands and like mm-hmm. frolicking in the water. It kind of reminded me of that sequence just a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. They are the more menacing, scary thing. And yet somehow they're not that aggressive. They're like very gentle with Penny. They're, they're mm-hmm. mean and I intimidating, really but they don't. relationship with Brutus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Brutus kind of like, like, I think they liked her, but like they're just doing their job. Right. And then like, she's also like annoying to them. So they're like, oh, we're going to put you in your place. But right. like, we're not going to actually hurt you because we, we're not, I don't know. The alligators didn't seem evil. They seemed like henchmen yeah right right no, that was, that's good they had, they had good nuance i feel like all the characters are done well like other than snoops and you know medusa a little bit it's just like the the mice characters the the swamp folk characters were all for as brief as they're in it like mm-hmm. they're all very uh likable obviously a lot of disney uh all-star voice talents with them that's where pat buttram comes in and mm-hmm. um i feel like we also had piglet's voice there as the owl but um maybe if if it wasn't him it was it sound i don't know it sounded familiar i i didn't actually check who who voiced all the critters but i just i liked a lot of the character um characterizations and and such to where they were all likable and interesting they weren't they weren't a lot of just they're there because they need to be there they were they all had personality Mm -hmm. i suppose is what i felt I feel like there was a surprising amount of moonshine in this movie for a children's yeah. teacher. There was at one point where it was like, if you drink this, you'll you'll get wings. You'll, you can run faster. You can fly faster. I was like, ooh, what are we telling kids? <laughs> I, I I love how it's animated when they drink it too with their eyes like freaking mm-hmm. alternate back and forth. Yes. <laughs> really. Kind of really, half-lump yeah. looking. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just like breathe fire practically. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking that too, though. I was like, man, that one is like a complete, like, dependent alcoholic. Right. Yeah, can't function. It's like Popeye and spinach. He, like, has to take his swig and then he can do it. A little questionable. Yeah. But, you know, they they worked it into the the plot. They they needed that as the fuel for the, the turbojet machine for the escape. I think they did really well with not wasting anything. Every time I thought like, oh, this is a throwaway, they could have skipped the sequence. Like they they always did a callback, and I always appreciate that in writing um, because it doesn't always happen. Like I I I comment this a lot, and we'll we'll obviously visit it when we get to Moana. But like the little coconut people in Moana are completely pointless. You know, it could have been anything. You could sub sub them out for anything. Would have loved to have seen a payoff with that. So. I appreciated that in the writing in this one that almost mm-hmm. everything had a payoff. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like two or three episodes now where you've mentioned the coconut people. I, it is, isn't it? I'm sorry. We should have like <laughs> a just, whole episode where we talk about the coconut It's like my people. favorite Disney movie and at the same time I'm just like, why did they have the <laughs> stupid coconut people? It don't make any sense. To sell toys, duh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, anyway. but who bought a toy of the coconut people? <laughs> right? I don't remember what they're I've never seen any merch. Yeah, they, I feel like they have a name. They, oh, they're they do awesome. have a name. The Maui or something. Good. Yeah. No, but, that's something else. Yeah, um, no, that is. <laughs> it is. Oh, no, wait. That's like Maui. That's like the Gremlins. Um, ah, I can't remember. The only name that's coming to mind is like Kiki Mora, but that's a minor oh. in the Owl House. Yeah, you're it's, right. it's something it's similar something like that. to that. You're right, you're right. Anyway. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Save it for Moana, guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll have you back. 
Um, I had wrote, I wrote down that the Oregon scene, I think was by far my favorite scene of the whole movie. It was really the it's only most fun, not, right? not that I need like everything to be super action packed all the time. Like, I don't want it to sound like that. Like I can understand if you're just creating story and, and, and trying to come up with that. But I just, I feel like Disney figured out how to do action and adventure. And I just felt like this one fell f- flat in a lot of areas, but I did like that scene. I thought it was well done it was enjoyable it was funny it was entertaining i liked it yeah i thought it was clever and like we said earlier it gives the the alligators a little bit more character it's a little more range than just being the henchman so Mm -hmm. you know it showed them almost like playful puppies where or a cat with a ball of yarn like they were just like so focused on getting (laughs) the mouse Mm -hmm. that they just sort of lost track of everything else and destroyed the organ um Oh, I found the, uh, when they shoot the flares up, the fireworks, um, as Bianca and Bernard are arriving, they use video footage in the background of fireworks, um, which is fine, whatever, they've, they've done I that. I saw that, yeah. Um, but what really bothers me about it is, like, the characters are moving on screen in space, like, in 3D space, and the fireworks are just, like, static, and it is really jarring, because it's... <laughs> not following the motion tracking of the mm-hmm. 3D elements in the scene really bothered me. <laughs> Which I know that would have been really hard to do in 1977. So like I'm not knocking them on technique. I think that's kind of what they had to do without using just you know hand-drawn fireworks which are are going to be difficult to do and very time consuming. Um it just but it it just looked jarring is what I took away from it. <laughs> and just to clarify they took like live video of fireworks and yes, they put the animations over like, top of the traced. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought it was too. I was like, that looks like real fireworks, like, yeah, filmed yeah. with a camera. No, I, I, yeah. I'm not really a fan of that stuff unless there's no other way to do it. But y- y'all have animated fireworks before. You can. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, it could have been done. I think it it for as many fireworks as they had going off, they probably wanted it to look more like oh yeah he's lighting up the sky but yeah i feel like later when they blow up her room um i feel like they were using the firework elements from a from a previous movie where some of the spinning ones uh maybe i i'm not sure um maybe sword in the stone some of the magic spells or something i don't know it's something seemed familiar about the the fireworks in that scene versus the ones in the sky earlier um speaking of sword in the stone i'd I love the sound effects for her little jet turbo bike thing that i've done oh, yeah. times we're all like the 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 person just going Poo! like you can't even do it but like it was just very much like sword in the stone and merlin so um i also like that rufus looks like merlin one of merlin's transformations from the sword in the stone oh yeah you're right All right, um, I've run out of notes. Does anyone else have anything else they want to talk about before we transition to final thoughts and, and ratings? I legitimately laughed out loud when they found the pirate skeleton down in the cave. But it's like, oh, this used to be a pirate lair. How do you know? Him? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It was um, such a dead man delivery. It was so, like... I was not expecting that from Penny. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, it was super, like, so casual. Like, oh, yeah, just the the dead man over there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. 
Um, I will say uh, one last thing about Orville. Uh, they they reused his takeoff animation sequence at the beginning and the end, which is you know very common what they do, but it just sort of felt noticeable because it was such a distinct takeoff, and it was the same camera angle, and it was just placed over a different background, and that was not yeah, lazy like, like they have to do it but it just was very noticeable <laughs> yeah me. um but it, it was fine i love his character i think he's good underused comedic relief um but yeah i'm glad they brought they kept uh the other bird and down under around a little bit more as some more yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah comedic moments i feel uh, like this movie could have probably used more of him in it to be honest but i have a, one, like a one, vague memory that it's like his twin brother or something yeah cousin they're related brother. yeah they're definitely related. and uh wilbur they're both oh that's the... such a good joke which isn't yeah. that that's the name of the dodos in animal crossing isn't it that's funny oh huh well it's just like wilbur oh, for the Orville, for the right? same yeah right, for the same the reason right exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. um i did have one other comment on god i always forget his name is it even even oh and rude Evan Rude looks like a Muppet. He has like the Muppet nose and the Muppet <laughs> eyes. I always think he reminded me of um, on Sesame Street. There was a sequence where a guy is trying to order something in a restaurant and Grover just keeps screwing it up as his waiter. Um, he reminds me of that Muppet <laughs> specifically. Oh. But um, yeah. I don't, did you guys notice that? He looked like I a know, Muppet. but I, I see what you're saying though. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Also, can we talk about how the the turtle in the swamp is wearing a Confederate yes like uniform hat <laughs> like holy crap. <laughs> which well, you know I was, like trying to timeline it out it's like are they joking that he was a Confederate soldier because turtles are old that's what I was gonna say turtles live much longer so maybe he was around during the, mm-hmm. the what, what, oh my god mm-hmm. Civil War I kept wanting to call it the, yes. the Southern Revolution um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no, uh, I anyway that. I think. <laughs> That was kind of one of my last uh, mm-hmm. last was, few things. The, the other thing, the the lighting effects when the lantern hit the diamond in the cave, really pretty, mm-hmm. um, cool cool effect. Yeah. Also, very much reminded me of Sea of Thieves. <laughs> oh yes, where she had to like raise her lantern and then it like glinted. Very similar. Yeah. Probably, All right. probably not else? on purpose. <laughs> right. Probably not. Right. All right. Very good. Well, uh, we'll move on and we'll do final thoughts and we'll wrap this, we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, we'll go the same order we did with the uh, host history. So, uh, Lauren, do you want to start us off? Um, yeah. So final thoughts. I enjoyed this movie, although I did think it was like a little bit slow for what I wanted pacing wise. Uh, I, I like the the word that like was echoing in my mind after it was over. It was like, oh, that was delightful, um, but it wasn't like super resonant with me. It was just sort of like a little like kind of trip down memory lane. I hadn't seen this in so long that um, it felt new to me. A lot of elements were like I I did not remember that at all. But at the same time, very steeped in similar media from the era, so it felt like a little time capsule of uh, childhood, and so. I liked it. I enjoyed the sketchy style. I kind of wish they would bring that back in terms of just I wish 2D animation was a thing that is in the widespread market today. Um, 
but I'm glad that we can at least preserve it as a part of history. So that's my final thoughts. Nice. Do you have a rating? So for out it? of 10, what oh, would you give it? I think I'm a generally harsher rater than any of you from <laughs> listening to former episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a five or a six for me, Oof. which to me okay. means that it was good. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. That's fair. So, so which is it? Five or six? I'll do six. All right. Six. Okay. Next up is David. Okay. Um, you know, as I said previously, this is a, a film that was an important part of my childhood. Um, especially after um, watching all the previous films. Um, in the Silver Age, just the sudden uptick in animation, the more serious plot. To me, it felt I wasn't bored. I, I didn't really have that much placing issues. I sort of almost enjoyed um, the change in direction and the an increased sort of drama and drudge of the whole thing, uh, which I understand isn't for everybody. Um, <laughs> the movie doesn't really make me sad like or depressed. Maybe, maybe, I don't really? know me. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's okay. just because I know, maybe because I've seen it enough that I, I know how it turns out. Um, <laughs> so it's it's like, yeah, nothing really terrible happens to the girl. Yeah, she's 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 sad a bunch. They throw her down a hole and, you know, she's fine. You know, it's a bunch of dead people down there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's no she's emotional scarring at all. Emotional yeah. damage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. She's got her little Winnie the Pooh bear. Yeah, she'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure she her, her new adopted parents won't spend any money on therapy whatsoever. Um, <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, I, I will agree that the villain isn't the most original. I think she's fine, but it's hard to separate her from Corella Deville, and she does get mm-hmm. a little bit diminished from that. Um, but but all in all, I just find it like I can't really find anything that I particularly say that this part of the movie like ruins it or lowers it to me um Mm -hmm. i don't think it's top tier but i I still at the same time i find this movie is one i'd rather watch than quite a few of the ones that we've watched already in the silver age it's it's Mm -hmm. just it's starting to bring it into um the period of like that that's most meaningful for me for disney of like sort of you know late 80s through mid 90s and, and it's starting to have a, a tonal shift that appeals to me and doesn't feel old and starts to feel more contemporary and modern. And I don't know, I love the, I love the little mice. Bianca and Bernard are... Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I will say, you know what? This is the first movie in the Disney canon to get a sequel, so they must have done something right, you know? Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I, 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 uh, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I, I, I think it's good. I don't think it's going to blow your socks off, but I think this is better than a lot of the ones we watched, and to me that seems fair. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 8? Yeah, an 8. Wow. All right. Jeff. Yeah. Um, so this, this one, you know, I have several mixed feelings all over the place with this. I... I love the animation. I think the plot is very solid. Um, I just—it's just very much. It doesn't feel like it's made for kids. It's just very heavy, very dark, and it's maybe, if not the first one, it's one of the first ones to be set in cont- in contemporary times, um, and not you know, 50 years prior or 100 years prior or 
you know, alternate reality. Um, you know, because, like, thinking of the Aristocats and thinking of Lady and the Tramp, those were all, like, turn of the century uh, or, or 1920s. They weren't set in the modern era. Um, whereas this one very much is 1977 New York. Like, um, and so I felt like that, you know, if you're a kid and you're seeing, like, oh, you can get kidnapped and forced to do labor in... Yeah, it just it almost adds a, a sense of like holy crap like what are what are we exposing children to with this assuming it's you know geared towards children um so from that perspective it's like oh it's a little heavy a little too a little too much from as you know a 37 year old guy watching it now it's like okay solid solid plot um solid character development you know you've we and even discuss like Bernard's overcoming his superstitions and everything having thirteen on it. Um, oh yeah, lots of lots of little different things and and good character nuance, good payoffs, like I mentioned earlier. So like, in general, I liked it. I think the pacing was surprisingly better than I expected because it is so um, dark and and they give it time to develop. I never the only the only time I ever felt like it dragged was that scene at the beginning that I was talking about after they leave the rescue aid society and they're trying to find the orphanage that was the only time where I was like okay get on with it everything else just kind of flew by for me and I, I was like okay that that bodes well for how they paced it um for me and you know the music is really what took me out of it I didn't think the score was anything to write home about and I didn't like any of the song choices uh just they were of again of the era that was what was contemporary at the time. If you you know if you watch the Walt Disney World uh, dedication ceremony, which was in the seventies, they play the same exact type of music. It's super boring, super just takes you out of it. Um, <laughs> personally, just not a fan of that style of music. Uh, most of the time, there's a few classics, but uh, not either here or there. Overall, beautiful movie, strong plot, little poor execution on the music. Um, so I was kind of teetering between a seven and an eight. I think I'm going to give it the seven because of the music alone, just not being a, a full package and music being a big part of a movie. So there you have it. <laughs> Sorry. That was long winded. No, I, there's a lot to this movie. It's, yeah. it's interesting. It's yeah. interesting to hear you guys talk about, um, yeah, okay. So for me, uh, it blows my mind that people love this movie. Uh, I was talking about how I was reading some YouTube comments uh, earlier. I mentioned that. There were people in the comments of a video I watched that were just like, this is my one of my all-time, not just di favorite Disney movies, but favorite movies in general. Like, there's wow. people out there that actually feel that way, and it blows <laughs> my mind. I cannot believe that. Um I, this movie was very difficult for me to watch and I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's slow. It's, I don't mind that it's dark, but it's, it's depressing and it just, it, it's missing a lot of that charm that I feel like other movies have. I do think that the, that Bianca and Bernard are great. I think their, their voice actors are great. I think they're animated. Well, I think all the animation in this is, is good. Um, but I just, I don't know. It's missing some of the character charm too. Like the last three or four movies we've watched, it's like, man, there's just so many good characters and they have good voice actors. And it's like, I feel like it's just the main two kind of carrying it here with, with a couple okay parts here and there, but just not, 
not a, an A plus cast in my opinion from um and so I feel like it's more like two people carrying it. The girl who did Penny did an okay job. Like she has a good I guess like personality and she's a little rambunctious and and stuff but mm-hmm. uh back back to overall I, I the music is not good i agree with jeff uh the pacing's okay i was getting sleepy watching this movie the only reason that this movie has a sequel is because this movie is so bad that they're like we can do better <laughs> and <laughs> they did do better yeah david that's for you right there um but it, yeah it's it, it's it makes it even harder to like this movie the fact that they like i think nailed it so much better uh in the sequel and so mm-hmm. it, it's pretty wild for that reason but um i would rather watch saludos amigos again than have to watch this movie again wow yes. no way you're crazy no way. yes <laughs> yeah yes all day all day Oof, and spicy. for that reason I, i'm giving this movie a three out of ten. Oh my Savage. gosh I don't feel as bad about my score anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't. You should not. Oh my goodness. You're just so different. Ugh. Like, Lord was five or six. Yeah, Jeff was like <laughs> seven or eight. I was deciding between eight or nine. <laughs> and you're like, three out of ten. I can't believe you even considered giving this movie a nine. That I, baffled. When I finished it last night, I was teetering between eight and nine. But as we talked it through today, I, I dropped down to seven or eight. What even, guys? What even? Eight or nine? All right. That's your right, I guess, you know. Okay. Well, we did it. Uh, we we did made it. it to the end. Um, oh, wow. Ne- next episode is fo- The Fox and the Hound. Yeah, no. Which is, which is fitting. So. Fair. Yes. Oh, Disney, uh, Disney uh, animators and... and writers were in a little dark a dark spot in their they life they really were this, i mean they were reflecting era. the state of the studio at the time yeah and then we go to black cauldron after that. right i know it just was like this three story downhill arc <laughs> darkness i mean great yeah. mouse detective and oliver and company are pretty dark too like honestly they don't really entirely shake the uh, you know they are they don't feel good. as dark but you're right you're right, right but they're actually well, good movies yeah in fact <laughs> and I, they in fact i think the great mouse detective it, does everything right that the rescuers don't do, doesn't do right like i feel like that's honestly they're very fair. yeah like i feel like that's how you do a mystery uh you know adventure like i just feel like they nailed that one it's still dark it's still spooky but it's not depressing i don't know save some but, for that episode <laughs> right 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 but yes fair enough all right. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it was, it was great, great having you. you. Yeah, thanks, yeah, for, thanks for doing this. This was so much fun. Agreed. Well, I'm glad you had fun. It's it's a lot to have a podcast with four people on it. So yeah. hopefully we let you talk enough and we didn't talk over you the whole time. So, um, But we appreciate you being here and doing this. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, next episode will be... Um, fox and the hound so we look forward to uh discussing that one and uh thanks for listening to movie bites and have a good one adios